Good day, my friends. It's July 10th, and congratulations on finding this podcast and staying with us as we are in the second half of this very worthwhile pursuit of reading through the Bible consistently and thoroughly. This is the One-Year Bible Tour Guide, a daily podcast in which we read consecutive portions from the Old and New Testaments, also making stops each day for reflection on the books of Psalms and Proverbs. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher in Concord, Massachusetts, and it is my joy to serve as your reading host. We are in the Old Testament book of Chronicles, First Chronicles, that is. I know that readers find the first nine chapters of the genealogies challenging, but as we have already observed, this will prove to be helpful not only in tracing the ancestry of the returning remnant from Babylon to the southern kingdom of Judah, but also keeping track of the royal and priestly lines, anticipating the future coming of the great king, priest, and prophet, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Yesterday's New Testament reading in the book of Acts ended with a cliffhanger, as the Apostle Paul, intent on appealing his case to Caesar in Rome, was about to get shipwrecked on the island of Malta. First, we will read from the Old Testament. We're not quite through with the genealogies. We're going to return to the historical narrative today, but first the chronicler is going to repeat some background material on King Saul's family as we revisit his story leading up to his death. First Chronicles chapter 9 is where we will start, beginning with verse 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. A Genealogy of the Returned Exiles. First Chronicles chapter 9. So all Israel was recorded in genealogies, and these are written in the book of the kings of Israel. And Judah was taken into exile in Babylon because of their breach of faith. Now the first to dwell again in their possessions in their cities were Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the temple servants. And some of the people of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, lived in Jerusalem. Uthai, the son of Amihud, son of Omri, son of Imri, son of Bani, from the sons of Perez, the son of Judah. And of the Shilonites, Asaiah, the firstborn, and his sons. Of the sons of Zerah, Jeuel, and their kinsmen, 690. Of the Benjaminites, Salu, the son of Meshulam, son of Hodaviah, son of Hasanua, Ibniah, the son of Jeroham, Elah, the son of Uzi, son of Mikri, and Meshulam, the son of Shephatiah son of Reuel, son of Ibnijah, and their kinsmen, according to their generations, 956. All these were heads of fathers' houses, according to their fathers' houses. Of the priests, Jediah, Jehoiarib, Jachin, and Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, son of Meshulam, son of Zadok, son of Mariath, son of Ahitub, the chief officer of the house of God, and Adiah, the son of Jeroham, son of Pashur, son of Melchijah, and Maasai, the son of Adiel, son of Jazerah, son of Meshulam, son of Meshilamith, son of Immer, besides their kinsmen, heads of their fathers' houses, 1,760, mighty men for the work of the service of the house of God. Of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, son of Azrikam, son of Hashabiah, of the sons of Merari, Bakbakar, Heresh, Galal, and Mataniah, the son of Micah, son of Zikri, son of Asaph, 
and Obadiah, the son of Shemaiah, son of Galal, son of Jeduthun, and Barakiah, the son of Asa, son of Elkanah, who lived in the villages of the Netophathites. The gatekeepers were Shalom, Akub, Talmon, Ahiman, and their kinsmen. Shalom was the chief. Until then, they were in the king's gate on the east side of the gatekeepers of the camps of the Levites. Shalom, the son of Kori, son of Abiasaph, son of Korah, and his kinsmen of his father's house, the Korahites, were in charge of the work of the service, keepers of the thresholds of the tent, as their fathers had been in charge of the camp of the Lord, keepers of the entrance. And Phineas, the son of Eleazar, was the chief officer over them in time past. The Lord was with him. Zechariah, the son of Meshelamiah, was gatekeeper at the entrance of the tent of meeting. All these who were chosen as gatekeepers at the thresholds were two hundred and twelve. They were enrolled by genealogies in their villages. David and Samuel the seer established them in their office of trust. So they and their sons were in charge of the gates of the house of the Lord, that is, the house of the tent, as guards. The gatekeepers were on the four sides, east, west, north, and south, and their kinsmen, who were in their villages, were obligated to come in every seven days, in turn, to be with these, for the four chief gatekeepers, who were Levites, were entrusted to be over the chambers and the treasures of the house of God. And they lodged around the house of God, for on them lay the duty of watching, and they had charge of opening it every morning. Some of them had charge of the utensils of service, for they were required to count them when they were brought in and taken out. Others of them were appointed over the furniture and over the holy utensils, also over the fine flour, the wine, the oil, the incense, and the spices. Others of the sons of the prophets prepared the mixing of the spices, and Mattathiah, one of the Levites, the firstborn of Shalom, the Korahite, was entrusted with making the flat cakes. Also some of their kinsmen of the Kohathites had charge of the showbread to prepare it every Sabbath. Now these, the singers, the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites, were in the chambers of the temple free from other service, for they were on duty day and night. These were heads of fathers' houses of the Levites, according to their generations, leaders. These lived in Jerusalem. Saul's genealogy repeated. In Gibeon lived the father of Gibeon, Jehiel, and the name of his wife was Maacah, and his firstborn son, Abdon, then Zur, Kish, Baal, Ner, Nadab, Gedor, Ahio, Zechariah, and Mikloth. And Mikloth was the father of Shimeam, and these also lived opposite their kinsmen in Jerusalem with their kinsmen. Ner fathered Kish, Kish fathered Saul, Saul fathered Jonathan, Malchishua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. And the son of Jonathan was Meribaal, and Meribaal fathered Micah. The sons of Micah, Pithon, Melech, Areah, and Ahaz. And Ahaz fathered Jara, and Jara fathered Alameth, Asmaveth, and Zimri. And Zimri fathered Moza. Moza fathered Benaiah, and Rephaiah was his son. Eliasa, his son, Azel, his son. Azel had six sons, and these are their names, Azrikam, Bokacheru, Ishmael, Shearaiah, Obadiah, and Hanan. These were the sons of Azel.
Chapter 10 The Death of Saul and His Sons Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines, and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died. Thus Saul died. He and his three sons and all his house died together. And when all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw that the army had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to their idols and to the people. And they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. And when all Jabesh-Gilead heard all that the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and took away the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons and brought them to Jabesh. And they buried their bones under the oak in Jabesh and fasted seven days. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David the son of Jesse. And this is where we end today's portion from the Old Testament, the book of First Chronicles. Now let's take a few moments to make some observations. The writer of Chronicles takes us forward in history, giving us a list in chapter 9 of the remnant from the tribe of Judah that are the first to return to Jerusalem after the 70-year Babylonian captivity. King Cyrus of Persia sponsored the first group of exiles led by Zerubbabel and Joshua, the priest, in 538 B.C. The second remnant to return, led by Ezra, did not occur until 458 B.C., 20 years after Esther became queen of Persia. Israel would have priests serving the altar of God after the captivity, but no king on the throne of David until Jesus, the expected one, the Christ, arrives as the king of the Jews. Returning members of the priestly tribe of Levites are listed along with their responsibilities. Notice how they apply to your New Testament role as a believer priest in the house of God. In a certain sense, Christians are also responsible for ministering to the Lord and to serve as gatekeepers responsible for guarding the entrance of the dwelling of the Lord. The Apostle Peter says we are a royal priesthood in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. How are you doing with the positions of trust that God has given you in the house of the Lord, the body of Christ? Do you share the gospel and welcome people into the family of God? The gatekeepers in Jerusalem had their day and night shifts. Because the city, the rooms, and treasuries needed to be protected 24-7, from time to time their brothers from the villages would come and give them relief. Many practical duties needed attention in the temple. These were the deacons of the Old Testament church. Each one had an assignment to take care of the furnishings of the sanctuary. 
It is interesting that we don't know the precise names of those who were in charge of the particular temple duties, with the exception of a man named Mattathiah. He was the firstborn son of Shalom, the Kohathite, and was in charge of baking the bread to be set out on the table every Sabbath. It is good to see this honorable mention given to the baker in the book of Chronicles. Notice that the heads of the Levite families were musicians, and that they were exempt from other duties, because they were responsible for their important work day and night. Making music to encourage God-honoring praise was not just for an hour on Sunday. The history of the church has been blessed by those who are full-time servants of the church devoted to writing music for worship services. Johann Sebastian Bach served many churches and was director of church music for the city of Leipzig, Germany. When he was starting out, he would write a sacred cantata every month. In 1724, he wrote a fresh cantata every week. He dedicated each work to the glory of God alone, writing at the end of each sheet of music, S.D.G., Soli Deo Gloria. We can be grateful for those who minister unto the Lord in music. 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 32. As we are learning, the book of Chronicles will focus on the tribe of Judah and the reign of King David in particular. The writer has the advantage of hindsight to recognize that the Messiah was yet to come, yet David was a clear type of the man who would be after God's heart, the Son of David, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The priority given to the reign of David is clearly seen when we get to chapter 10. Here are the only verses dedicated to the reign of King Saul of the tribe of Benjamin, 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verses 1-14, through 14, just 14 verses. The summary of the life of King Saul is not an admirable one. He is noted for his defeats and his attempt to take his own life. Nothing is mentioned of his victories that are recorded in 1 Samuel. His history as recorded in 1 Chronicles is one of shame. So Saul died for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord, because of the word of the Lord which he did not keep, and also because he asked counsel of a medium, making inquiry of it, and did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom to David the son of Jesse. Now let's go to our next stop on our Bible tour, the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 27, verses 21 through 44. And we're back on ship with the Apostle Paul. Acts 27, verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on, they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, 
Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all two hundred and seventy-six persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. The Shipwreck Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach, on which they had planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And this is the end of our reading of today's portion from the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter 27. Let's recap. Paul was taken on board the ship a prisoner. But when the terrible storm comes and threatens the lives of all on board, it is Paul who acts as the captain. Very often, when non-Christians are going through trials, they will turn to the man or woman of God they previously gave little attention to and seek their counsel. In this part of Acts chapter 27, it is the Apostle Paul and not the ship captain who is giving the orders. He even conducts a worship service on board the ship. In verse 35, Paul affirms that the word of the Lord is sure and that his previous warning about suffering damage and loss was true in Acts 27 verse 21. Paul speaks with confidence because he has divine assurance that their lives will be spared and he would soon stand before Caesar to testify of the gospel. There are 276 souls on board and not one of them was lost although the ship hit a sandbar and was broken to pieces by the pounding surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent them from escaping, but because of the testimony of Paul, their extraordinary prisoner, all the other prisoners were spared, and everyone reached the land in safety. Now let's move on to the book of Psalms, the Bible songbook, Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9. How majestic is your name, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. 
you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 8 is a great psalm and is often quoted. The bookends of this psalm are identical twins, verses 1 and 14. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. Psalm 8, verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 4. What is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? The answer to that question is found in Jesus Christ. He is the perfect man, the son of man. He is the last Adam. He is man as he as God created man to be, full of the Spirit, the express image of God's person. We are shown the dignity of our humanity according to creation, and his exaltation through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus to the privileged position of being his joint heir and an heir of God. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Psalm 8, verse 6. This is our position in Christ Jesus. And now we move on in our tour to the treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 18, verses 23 and 24. The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Verse 23 reminds us that a person's speech and tone of voice can tell us about their heart condition. The poor man who recognizes his lack may be in danger of whining, complaining, or playing victim in a way that others find tedious. A person who is rich is in danger of exhibiting pride, condescension, arrogance, and harshness when they speak to others. What does your tone of voice say about you? It is doubtful that a man who has too many friends has sufficient time to devote to meaningful, in-depth personal relationships. But there is one friend who sticks closer than a brother. We may feel especially close to our brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we share a spiritual union that makes us closer than we would feel with our natural siblings. But there is one who proves to be even closer. He is a friend of sinners who will never leave us or forsake us, a friend who loves at all times, Jesus Christ. In Proverbs 17:17, 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Once again, we can thank God for what a friend we have in Jesus. Now let's pray. Father, we are humbled by the kindness you have shown us by sending Christ to us, who died for us, to live in us. We are grateful that you put us in Christ, and Christ baptized us with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit baptized us into the body of Christ. We marvel at your creation as it reflects the majesty of your name. But what is man that you are mindful of us, and have given us such a privileged status as mature sons, heirs qualified to receive an inheritance and reign with Christ? Hallelujah! What a Savior! Father, we ask you to strengthen us for the tasks you have before us this day, and that all that we do and say would give glory to your majestic name. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, I hope the rest of this day finds you praising the Lord and that you will be able to take gleanings from your daily Bible reading into the rest of your hours today. Feel free to tell others about this podcast and join you in this noble endeavor of reading through the Bible in a year. 
If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us by writing podcast at newlife.org. You can also leave comments wherever you find your podcast. And also, if you'd like to get a written copy of our commentary on each day's reading, you can subscribe at our website, newlife.org. So until next time, may you be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Shalom. Shalom.